Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, we're in Luke, Luke, Ephesians chapter 6. I was reading in Luke today. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're a part two of what we talked about last Wednesday night about our spiritual armor or the spiritual combat gear that I call it. Um, I want to begin reading back where we started last week in, in verse 13. Of course, he tells us that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood in verse 12, but against principalities and powers. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. I want to stop there and we'll pick up the last message in Ephesians beginning right there next time. Now, I've told you this corny story before. It's old, but it still makes a good point. There were a group of new recruits going through basic training in World War II. Unfortunately, there were not enough rifles to go around. So the, so the sergeant gave a very gullible young man from Tennessee, the Tennessee mountains, a broomstick. And he said, when you need to shoot, you just point this broomstick and you go bangity bang bang. There wasn't even a bayonet on the end of that stick. And the young soldier asked the sergeant, what happens if I get in hand-to-hand -hand combat? He said, you just stick him with this stick and say stabity stab stab. <laughs> the young man was nervous, but he figured, well, the sergeant must know what he's doing. So the day came when the company was in combat, and sure enough, the young soldier with the broomstick saw a few German soldiers running toward his position. So he just aimed that broomstick and went bangity bang bang, and all those German soldiers fell down. Well, he was amazed. Suddenly, another soldier jumped out from behind a nearby tree, and he grabbed that stick and he stuck it with it and said, Stabity, stab, stab, and he fell at his feet. Well, he saw some other soldier, another soldier coming his way, so he stood up and he pointed that broom at him. He said, bangity, bang, bang, but the soldier kept coming. And sure enough, when the soldier got close, he stabbed him with that stick and he said, stabity, stab, stab. And all of a sudden, that German soldier pushed him down and was walking over him and he heard him saying, tankity, tank, tank. Positive thinking only goes so far, doesn't it? Well, what we're dealing with tonight is not positive thinking. Let me remind you what we looked at last week. We, we talked about the belt of reality or truth that protects us from error and, and false teaching and false doctrine. And it also holds everything together, the truth. The breastplate of righteousness covers our heart 
Remember, we talked about being positionally in Jesus. You don't have to worry. You're in Jesus Christ and it protects us. The practical part of it is that it protects us from sin when we're living in his righteousness. And then the boots of readiness. We talked about the gospel of peace that brings stability. We have peace with God. We, even in the midst of turmoil, you can have a stable life. You can be at peace with God. And it also gives us support and assurance. We not only have the gospel of peace and, and it's authentic, but it gives us support also. And we're told that we're to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, but to peacemakers. And when we share Jesus with others, it brings them into peace with God. So you have those three pieces, but then in verse 16, it says, above all, take, it introduces the last three pieces of armor. The first three, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the boots. Those three pieces of armor on a Roman soldier were for long-range preparation, and you didn't take them off. You kept the boots on, you kept the breastplate on, and you had the belt that held them all together. They were put on once and for all, but these next three, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, were always kept in readiness and put on when needed. So when he uses the word taking it up or take this, he's saying these are the things that are beside. You're going to need them. You'll always pick them up and you're ready for them. And so what are those things? First is the shield of faith. It helps us with temptation. Now the Romans had several different kinds of shields. When you were a kid, did you ever pick up? Of course, at that time, we had garbage cans, and many of them were made out of uh, metal and aluminum, and we'd take that, that garbage lid, had a handle on it, and that was our shield. But did you know the Roman soldiers actually had one similar to that? It was around almost like two feet in diameter, and it was secured to the arm by two leather straps, and it was used... It would be on the outside. It was used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But the one that's written here or the word that's used here is a different word than that. It's the word thurios. And it was used for a shield that the Roman soldiers had that were, was two and a half feet wide and four and a half feet tall. Now, believe it or not, Roman soldiers were smaller then than men, men are today. They were a little bit smaller, but this shield was used to protect the whole body. It was made out of wood. Sometimes it was covered with metal or heavy oiled leather. In fact, the word, we get one of our words for door from this particular shield because it was about the size of a door. It also would double as a stretcher. If somebody was injured, they could put a person on that and carry them off of the battlefield. Now the enemy often dipped their arrows in pitch, set them on fire, and fired into the opposing army. Well, the Roman soldiers would hold these shields up and those arrows would bounce off or it would extinguish those arrows. And Paul is saying that our shield is a shield of faith. Now in other places he talks, in fact, he even says that you, you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are those fiery darts? 
Psalm 64, 2 and 3 says, hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from that noisy crowd of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. Now, some of these arrows that are shot at us are invisible. Temptation, anxiety, fear, discouragement, depression. Some are evil words. In fact, Paul did not say, hold up the shield so the arrows won't be shot at you. Believe it or not, if you're a child of God, you got a target on you. Satan's, Satan's aiming for you. His, his army's aiming for you because you're a child of God. The Bible says the shield of faith is, is effective in diverting these arrows. You're going to be criticized. I hate to tell you this. You do anything for the Lord, somebody's going to be critical of you. Because if, if you're not ever criticized, you're either dead or you're not doing anything. And even if you're dead, they're going to criticize you. You're going to be tempted. Anxiety and pressure are going to be shot at you. But faith will take those painful arrows, arrows and, and, and they will lose their effectiveness against you. So how do you use the shield of faith? Let's talk about that. First of all, you claim God's promises. Faith is not the body of Christian beliefs, but a basic trust in God. Now, we've already talked about truth, and he's going to talk about it again. So it's not when you say, I'm of this faith. You're not talking about the body of beliefs. You're holding on to God's promise. That's what, God, that's what faith is. Faith is, you use, you use faith every day in your life. Did you know that? You ever mailed a letter? You, you have faith in the postal service? <laughs> Somebody said, not much. <laughs> you go to a doctor you've never met before. You take your clothes off for them. They examine you and tell you that you've got some kind of illness that you've never even heard of. And they'll write out a prescription that you can't even read. You'll take it to a pharmacist that you've never met, and they'll give you a medicine you can't pay for. And you'll take that medicine home and digest that medicine into your body. You're exercising faith all the time. I was watching you as you came in this evening. I did not see anyone put their hand on that chair and feel like it's going to hold them up. No, I watched you. You plopped. All of you plopped. You plopped right down in the chair. You didn't even think about it, did you? No, no, no. You had faith that chair would hold you up. You're resting your, in fact, right now, you're resting your whole weight on it. You're not even holding yourself up off of it, are you? The shield of faith is faith in all of God's promises. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, do you believe that? So that's a promise. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to that. The Bible says in Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. I'm going to believe what God said. I'm going to believe that God keeps his promises. Faith is the vitamin that makes 
all we take from the Bible digestible and it helps us receive it and assimilate it. If we do not have faith, we can't get anything. When you stand and you say, God, I'm trusting in you, you're not leaning on your own understanding. There are going to be times when all you can do is just hold on to God's promise. You may not understand everything that's going on, but when God said it, he means it. I won't leave you. I'll never let you go. And another way to exercise the shield of faith is to connect with God's people. Now, the Roman shield, this shield, this therios, had a couple of crooks on each side of it so that a soldier going into battle could literally hook his shield with the next person. And they could form a living wedge. The soldiers who carried these shields were in the front lines of battle and they normally stood side by side in a huge formation, sometimes extending as long as a mile. That's how the Roman Empire conquered the world. And anyone who stood behind or crouched behind those shields was protected from the barrage. Now, the, of, of the incoming arrows or spears or whatever, the archers for the army would stand behind those shields, those guys holding those shields, and they would shoot into the opposing army. And that's how Rome conquered the world because they said had such a highly developed military strategy. Sometimes they would place their shields between, and their spears between the shields, lock them together, and they could move forward together. But the important thing was they never fought alone. They linked up with other soldiers. Now, if you're still trying to be a lone ranger in a Christian life, you're going to find that life gets really difficult. One of the reasons that we meet together, we assemble together, is to be reminded we're not alone. I know that means there are some people watching online tonight, and I'm glad that you're watching, and we welcome you. And many of you have been watching online for literally months now. And it's wonderful that we have that capability, and I completely understand it, and I'm not mad because they're not able to come yet, but I'm going to tell you there's just nothing like being with other believers in person. You just gain encouragement. That's, I've told you before, why do people who live in other countries that literally risk their life to meet together, why do they still chance it? Because you connect with God's people. It's a beautiful thing about an army. You have allies. You have soldiers to link up with. That's what Southcrest is. It, it's it's whatever church, what every church is. We, we pick each other up. We march arm in arm into battle. Now, we'll have, always have people that come as a spectator, but there are those who have linked up arm in arm. I try to get people so much to, to get into a Sunday school class or a life group or a small group. You can link up with people here for a, an hour on Sunday morning, but there's nothing like when you get down up close and personal with people in a small group that knows your name and and they'll be there with you when you're going through difficult times. They'll laugh with you when you're laughing. They'll cry with you when you're crying. And 
And they're the ones you need the most because I want to tell you, all of us from time to time are going to take a fiery dart. And you need somebody to encourage you. So one of the ways that we do that is by connecting with each other. There was a war in 1899 that went for three years, 1899 to 1902. It was called the Boer, B-O-E-R, War. And there was a man convicted of a very unusual crime. He was found guilty of being a discourager. The South African town of Ladysmith was under attack. And this traitor would move up and down the lines of soldiers who were defending the city. And he would do everything he could to discourage them. He would point out the enemy's strength. He would point out the difficulty of defending the city. And the inevitable capture of the city was going to come. He didn't use a gun in his attack. It wasn't necessary. His weapon was the power of discouragement. When we join together, we need to encourage one another. I mean, there's enough junk going on out in the world that we get discouraged, but when we get together, that ought to be a time when, hey, I'm so glad to see you because I know that I'm going to get an encouraging word from somebody. The third thing to do with your shield is to stand firm in God's power. You can have confidence in God's power. The, the shield of faith says, I have absolutely nothing in myself to defend, but I am standing firm in God's power. I believe God's promises. I've connected with God's people. I have confidence in God's power. There was a giant named Goliath. The scripture says he was nine feet, six inches tall. He had a spear that weighed 40 pounds. The head alone on the spear was 15 pounds and the handle was 14 feet. That's a big dude. His armor weighed 125 pounds. Now, King Saul was six feet, two inches tall. But standing next to Goliath, he did not stand so tall, did he? But here comes a kid. Young David picks up five smooth stones. He approaches Goliath. But you know, David's faith was not in those stones and it wasn't in his ability with that sling. His faith was in God. In fact, listen to what he said to the Philistine. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. Now, David didn't go out there and go, oh, I really hope I win. I'm going to try and do my best. <laughs> In fact, he, he went on to say, this day I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beast of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. First Samuel 17. Now that's faith when you can approach a giant and say, the Lord's fixing to give you to me. Not my skill, but it's faith in the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. 
We have faith. You're exercising it now. But you need to put your faith in God. God's still alive. God's still on the throne. God will do what he said he would do. He will keep his promises. You can rest assured on that. Boy, we need that today, don't we? I'm telling you, we start becoming afraid. Oh, my word, we're going to all die. We're all going to perish. We're all going to die. Listen, you can be cautious, but you don't have to live in fear. He's still on the throne. He said also, and verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, this defends our thoughts. The common, ordinary foot soldier's helmet would be a very rough kind of helmet that had several layers of leather with hammered metal over the top of it. It also had a neck covering that was long and would be much like the breastplate. It had pieces of leather upon which were overlapping pieces of metal that were sewn to it because the greatest nemesis of a foot soldier was a cavalry soldier on a horse. Cavalry soldier could come up behind and they had that long sword and they could lop their head off if they weren't careful. And so they had protection all around them. In fact, horses, the, the cavalry would ride through the battlefield trying to take the heads off of foot soldiers. So a good strong helmet that protected the neck and the side of the head would ward off those blows You don't go into battle without your head protected. That's why football players wear helmets. And the ones that don't can't speak clearly anymore. (laughs) They're brain damaged or they're Dane damaged. (laughs) So how does a helmet help you? First, it defends you from doubt. The fact that the helmet is related to salvation indicates that Satan's blows are directed at our security and our assurance in Jesus Christ. Just as our truth, righteousness, and peace is found in Jesus, so is our salvation found in Jesus. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The helmet of salvation protects us from doubt. Two kinds of Christians here this evening. There are those who without a shadow of a doubt know that they are absolutely saved to the uttermost. They don't doubt their salvation. They know that when they die, they're going to be with Jesus. Complete confidence. And then the other Christians that were here, you ask them and they'll say, well, I hope so. But as you know, a Christian's supposed to have absolute, total assurance of their salvation. John wrote, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. 1 John 5, 13. So Satan, to discourage us, sometimes points out our failures, reminds us of sin, our unresolved problems, maybe our poor health or whatever else seems to be negative in our lives to make us lose confidence in the love and care of God. But you're a child of God and nothing can take you out of his hand. All you have to do, if 
you ever have some doubts, you know what? I'm going to say everybody has some doubts from time to time. He didn't say we wouldn't have them. This just protects us from them. When you have one, you remind, you ask yourself, wait a minute. What did God tell me to do to be saved? And I've done that. It's up to God to save me. It's not up to me. I don't keep myself saved. You ever think, well, what if all this is a big hoax? Do you really believe millions and millions and millions of people could be fooled that way? And look at the change in your own life and look at the change in the lives of other people. Do you realize how mean you and I would be if we didn't know Jesus? I mean as it is. The second way the helmet helps you, it transforms our thinking. Now, the helmet, the helmet is not salvation. Jesus is salvation. The helmet is how you think once you are saved, so it transforms our mind. Romans tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The helmet represents the personality, the life of Jesus Christ. And when you put on Jesus, you begin to think like him and you begin to act like him. You look different, at least to the world, because now you have the mind of Christ. He's changed your life. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, but I fear, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, listen to what he said, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We try to make salvation so complicated. Jesus saves, Jesus transforms pretty simple. There's a book entitled In Two Minds. O.S. Guinness points out that the Latin word for doubt, dubitare, comes from an Aryan root meaning two. He said to believe is to be in one mind about accepting something is true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. And to doubt is to waver between the two, to believe and doubt at once. So to be in two minds. You commit your life to Christ. He transforms your life. He changes the way you think. I I said this Sunday, when Jesus comes into your life, he gives you life immediately and your spirit begins to transform your mind and your emotions and your will. You don't stay the same when you come to know Jesus. He won't let you. Now, y'all are Texans. Do you know what March 4th, 1836 is? It was a strategic day. It was a day that 188 ragtag soldiers were inside that little fortress in San Antonio. And the Mexican general Santa Ana encamped around it with 6,000 soldiers. 26-year-old William Barrett Travis stood up and he addressed those hungry men who were almost out of ammunition. He said, men, we've got three options. We can surrender and we will probably be put to death. Second, we can try to escape under cover of darkness. We may or may not succeed. Our third option is to fight against insurmountable odds. We will probably lose, but in defeat, 
we can inflict such damage on the enemy that later they may be defeated. Historians tell us that Travis took his sword, drew a line in the sand and said, I can't make any of you do it, but if anybody's willing to stay and fight, step across the line. Topley Holland was the first man across. Others quickly followed. Daniel Cloud, Micah Utry, I think, Davy Crockett, but Jim Bowie, who was a colonel, was sick, unable to cross the line, so he called for help, and four men came to the side of his cot and lifted him over the line as the other men cheered. All of them except one stepped across the line. A few hours later, Santa Ana attacked with his superior armament. He had ammunition. He had the numbers. The battle raged until every one of those 188 men were killed, but not before they killed 600 enemy. Four weeks later, General Sam Houston led a group of Texans at the Battle of San Jacinto. And y'all do remember what they shouted, don't you? Get your guns up. <laughs> Remember the Alamo and get your guns up. No, I'm just kidding. For them, it was more than a sweet slogan because it meant something to them because they knew those men who had been killed. Well, our battle cry today is not remember the Alamo, but remember the cross. And we know who died on the cross for us. It's not nice. It's not just some shrine. And it's where our commander in chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, died and won the victory. And the Lord has drawn the line in the sands and said, how many of you Christians are going to join me in battle against the forces of evil? Just take a stand some of you may be in a battle right now. And I appreciate people who are willing to take a moral stand about things of righteousness, to be the salt of the earth. Some of you need to stand. You need to, to get off the pew and get off the chair and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to be part of the solution. There's still one other real important part of the armor and that is the weapon the sword of the spirit it's the weapon of truth it's the offensive weapon according to this passage the sword of the spirit disables Satan's attack there were two kinds of swords Romans had two kinds one of them was that big long sword that they had and it took two hands to swing it. In fact, sometimes it was so heavy if they, if they swung it, it'd be so heavy it'd pull back and it was hard to get back to, to swing so it left you vulnerable. But they also had another sword called the Makaira. That's the word used here. It was the little short looking dagger that was in a, in a scabbard. In fact, the, the Roman armies revolutionized warfare by using that small sword because they would drop their spear and pull this short sword out. They could wield this sword very easily and very accurately. So what is he talking about here? He's saying that you need to be able to accurately use the word of God. 
I want you to grasp a truth here. In fact, if you'll look back in verse 14, having girded your waist with truth. And then in verse 18, excuse me, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There are two words in the New Testament for the word of God. One is logos. That's the word used in verse 14. Um, It's the comprehensive word of God. It's the entire written living word. The concept of the word of God is the Bible. In fact, we're told Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word logos for the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Inwardly and outwardly, the Logos is powerful. It cuts both ways. God's word never returns void. And you need to remember that. When you're teaching the word of God, people may not respond at the moment, but God's word just keeps on penetrating. People walk away. They're still thinking about it. God will use it in their life. Everyone in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ came because the Logos penetrated your heart at some point. You may have been a child and you just understood that you were a sinner and Jesus saved, but still the word of God was used to bring you to salvation. That's one edge of the sword, the comprehensive word, the whole thing. But then in verse 17, it's not the word logos, which was the word, which is the word of God. It's the word rima. R-H-E-M-A. And it refers to individual words or particular statements. You're picking out some things now that apply to you. You're not proof texting and taking out a, a verse out of context, but the rima is a specific, spoken, personal word. It means something that's very specific. A rima is a verse, a portion of scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to your attention with application to a current situation that you're in or direction that you need right now. I call them aha moments. When you're reading something and the Holy Spirit says, look, David, Notice what I said right there. I've never noticed that before. You ever had one of those moments? That's a Rima moment. It's an aha moment. It's real. It's personal to you. It's spoken. Romans 10, 17 uses that word Rima. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Rima of Christ. The application, it's an aha moment. It's when it becomes real to you. You, You're reading it and thinking, I've read this before. How come I've never noticed this before? It's a Holy Spirit moment is what it is. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God can be used in your everyday life. It's it's the only offensive weapon you have. Well, we're going to talk about prayer too. But as far as wielding an offensive weapon, it's this. 
One other truth, how are you, how can you be a competent warrior? Every believer has the Holy Spirit living in them. You have God's Spirit living in you. It's given you life, amen? You have a new life in him. He's given you spiritual life. But to have that kind of rima in your life, you've got to have some study that goes along with it. So I want to give you six ways that you can become skillful in God's work. The first one, you have to hear it. Now, you folks get extra credit for coming on Wednesday nights. I mean, after all, this is the... I commend people who come and, and tune in to hear God's word proclaimed and taught. You can't know it if you don't hear it. You've got to hear it. And however you choose to hear it... By the way, let me give you a commercial. We, I don't know if you're familiar with the dwell app. You go through our website to get it and you get it for free. If you try to get it any other way, you're going to have to pay for it. But basically, the Dwell app, you can pull up and you can hear the word of God being read to you with some beautiful music behind it. You can hear it. You might, this might help you in your reading through the Bible. Just make sure you stay awake with that beautiful music behind it. You can pick the music you want to play behind it. It will read whatever book of the Bible you want it to read. Go through the website and pull up the, it's on our resources tab. You can sign up for it and it's free if you go through us. But listening to the word of God, just hearing it. The second thing is to read it. To read the word of God. Well, I'm hoping you're doing that. Are you, you, you plugging th through Genesis yet? Have you scratched your head a couple of times and going, man, it's a wild bunch of people. If you haven't yet, you will. <laughs> read it. Read through it. I want you to read through all the word of God. Third thing is to study it. Now, when you read it, you hold the Bible in your hand, but when you're studying it, you usually have a pen or a highlighter or a separate sheet of paper where you can write down some insights or you can underline a verse that means something. You can go a little bit deeper, just like Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself an approved workman that won't be ashamed. And every time you study or look a little bit deeper, you are sharpening the sword, the rima. Fourth thing is to meditate on it. It means to think about it. The Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on, it, on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. Let the word of God saturate you. I've told you before, the word meditate literally means chew the cud. To chew on it. I'm glad we don't have to chew the cud. Food tastes wonderful one time down. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring it up and swallow it again? With the word of God, you want to chew on it. 
You want to think about it. You want to meditate on it. And meditate doesn't mean get in a weird position and hum and all that stuff. It means think about it. Dwell on it. The fifth thing is to memorize it. Yeah, you can memorize. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, you can. You memorize all the time. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more you hide his word in you, the more ammunition, the sharper the sword when it comes to the temptations that come. The sixth thing is to quote it. Now, you can't quote it if you haven't memorized it. And you can't memorize it unless you meditate on it. And you can't meditate on it unless you study it. And you can't study it unless you read it. So start by quoting. If you, if you become a skillful, you want to become skillful and you want to have victory over the devil, that's what you have to do. You have to, you have to stick your nose in the word of God. And finally, if you have the right armor, you've also got to have the power behind the armor in verse 18. It's not enough for the Christian soldier to know the enemy and to put on the equipment. You've got to have the energy necessary to face the enemy and to use the equipment. And notice that immediately after Paul's description of the army, he makes an appeal for prayer. Prayer is the power behind the Christian's armor. There's a threefold role of prayer. First of all, it puts the armor on. God, help me to take on this. And he says, praying always. It also makes the armor work, and it helps the entire army. So prayer is the power behind it. Praying always, the Jewish people of Paul's day had several prescribed times of daily prayer, but the new covenant in Jesus Christ and the birth of the church brought a new dimension as it did to everything else. He said to pray at all times, praying always. Does that mean you walk around with your eyes closed and your head bowed? And Don't try that. You can pray while you're driving, but keep your eyes open. It means to live in a God consciousness. Help me to think about you. Lord, I want to talk with you. When you're tempted, Lord, I need your help right now. I'm not sure what to do when I get to this situation. And when good things happen, do you whisper, thank you, Lord, under your breath. You're talking to God all the time. It, it's a God consciousness. He is there with you. He said, I'll never leave you. So you, you get in the habit of talking to him. Nobody else has to hear you. Many times when you meet a lost person, you pray for them. Lord, draw them to you. Give me the words to say. Don't let me do anything that would hinder them coming to know you. You, you just learn to talk to the Lord. And sometimes it just comes out naturally. I'm a hunter and a fisherman. And so I like to watch hunting and fishing shows. It's pretty safe most of the time. 
But I've noticed, and I don't get to watch them that often. I record some, and that way I can skim through them, at least skip the commercials. But, um, and they help me take a nap on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I turn that on, and I don't even remember them. But I've noticed one thing. There's one particular show where they're hunting, and, and, and this man's he's, he's, he's probably older than me. But he, he gets so excited when he gets an opportunity to harvest a, an animal, a deer, or whatever. But it just comes out of him when he, when he comes upon that animal and he's so excited. And he, he doesn't even know he says it. He just says, thank you, Lord. He's excited. He doesn't even know he's saying it. But that tells me something about him. I said, I bet it's not the only time he thanks the Lord. You know, the other guys, and you know, there'll be other people that'll just brag about and whatever happened. But when you walk up and say, Lord, thank you. That's, that's God consciousness. That's praying always. And then in the spirit, to pray in the name of Christ is to pray consistent with his nature and his will. And we're going to talk more about prayer next time we meet. And we'll finish up in Ephesians. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.